Good afternoon and welcome to UK Column viewers and listeners. Uh, we're back in the studio here in Plymouth, England, and I'm delighted today to have a guest, uh, Mark Sharman. And I, I'm sitting here really with a smile on my face because we've already had a little bit of a chat before we started recording. Um, the key bit for me is that I'm here sat in front of a desk and I've got Mark Sharman. Mark Sharman is the professional media man and he's been kind enough to come and join us today to talk about some very serious matters around the whole of the COVID-19 pandemic. So you said to me, uh, Mark, that you haven't had your face on the camera until fairly recently, having spent all of that time in the media industry. So I'm going to say again, a big thank you for coming and joining us today. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Um, I'm a big admirer of, of what you do down there and particularly the depth of research. You know, I think it's uh, it's an example to everybody in journalism, the way you go into things and uh, and stand it up with with proper research. So congratulations for that. Um, yeah, so I did I did fifty five years in the media altogether, about nine in newspapers and then forty six in television. And I, I thought actually, Brian, I was retired, um, but I got so angry about what was clearly a one sided story being told on television and in the papers that I began to take part in various. Um, substack writing and one or two broadcasts. But of course, I then began to meet some of the people that have been injured by vaccines, and some of the stories are horrendous. And so I decided to make a film or a TV program, which we are almost complete, uh, we've almost completed, um, which looks at vaccine injuries, but also goes into many other aspects of of uh, what was what was and wasn't done, and what the public were and weren't told. And and of course, this is this is a huge subject because it is now becoming more and more clear that the public either were not told things, uh, information was simply omitted, or else the information they were given has been skewed. And I can say to you that uh, a few hours ago, I was speaking to um, Professor Norman Fenton um, from Queen. Uh, Mary University, London, um, who was talking in some detail about how the fact that as a professional mathematician, he sees that particularly the statistical data that's been put out by the MHRA and other government sources is simply incorrect. In fact, he, he was a lot stronger in his description than that. But what a terrible state of affairs where if we accept the pandemic that we've been told, if we accept that, um, the fact that all of the policy that the government has enacted uh, to do with lockdown, to do with um, uh, social distancing, and then with the vaccine um, programme, millions of people have joined that uh, policy. They've taken part. And now we're witnessing that an increasing number have actually suffered in many cases, really horrific adverse effects, including people dying. And yet this story is still not being told by the mainstream media. And I'll just, I'll throw this back to you if I may. This is one of the things that I'm still puzzled about. Why is it that we simply do not seem to see any proper investigative journalism by the big media names anymore, whether it's the BBC or 
ITV, Channel 4, whatever it is, why aren't they doing research? Well, I think you have to look, first of all, at the ownership. Um, uh, most of our broadcasters are now owned, or certainly the shareholders tend to be the big American investment companies. Um, who And it seems to me there's a, big, a close relationship between all of the uh, big tech companies and big pharma, and uh, you know they've got a narrative that they want to stick to. Um, but uh, you on this your program before have looked at Spy B, the government's uh, behavioural scientific group, <clears throat> and how they influenced the fear um, that caused us to follow the lockdown so closely. Um, it's interesting because the, the Spy B um, on the very same day that they briefed Boris Johnson and he gave his speech, Ofcom. That was the very day that Ofcom spoke to broadcasters or sent a, a message to broadcasters, basically to toe the line. Now, one of the great things about British television in my time has always been impartiality, whereas newspapers have always hung their hat on one political stance or another. In television, in general, not exclusively, but in general, we were supposed to be impartial and tell both sides of a story. Um, I've never seen anything like the Ofcom uh, instruction, and the broadcasters uh, seem to have followed it. Um, I mean, what they actually said was um, they asked broadcasters to, to, I've got to read this, to, to, uh, to take note of this significant potential harm that could be caused by material misleadingness in relation to the virus or public policy regarding it. And then they warned of appropriate action on any breaches. So what they're basically saying is don't question the government's line. And that's a pretty strong base to go with. On top of that, we've got something called the, the, the Trusted News Initiative, which the BBC are heavily involved in. And that uh, is a partnership between the BBC and the major tech companies and essentially, they're deciding what the story is. And as you know, um, they've cancelled, blanked, um, dismissed, smeared anybody that's questioned the, the official line. So it seems to me almost like I've described it as a pincer movement between mainstream media and new media. It's, um, it's almost like a cartel, actually, that, that, that set out to have one line um, and dismiss anything that questions it. Um, what the true basis of it is, where all of the instruction is coming from, is uh, up for debate. But it's, I've got no doubt in my mind that the um, collusion between the broadcasters and big tech and the instruction from Ofcom has held back uh, many broadcasters from asking the right questions. Having said that, I think a lot of people that work in uh, broadcast and in the media in general I think they generally still believe the story. Um, you know, they are, if you like, brainwashed themselves, and they just haven't seen the uh, haven't seen the the light. Okay. Well, I I was absolutely astonished um, uh, when when you mentioned to me, you know, off camera a little bit earlier about this uh, Ofcom document. Um, we we have felt that there must be something in the background that was actually restricting the newspaper and other media from speaking out. But but I wasn't aware of any particular uh, directive and certainly have ne never seen it. So what you've read out to us is the official wording of that briefing from Ofcom to the media. 
Yes. And it's. Yes. But I mean, newspapers have followed the line too. But of course, again, look at the ownership. But also, you know, the government have spent something like half a million pounds. Uh, I'm sorry, half a billion pounds mm. on advertising over COVID. You know, so the newspapers have collected a, a fair amount of that. And to be cynical, you know, it, it's hard if the money's pouring in through the door uh, to then take an editorial stance that's opposite. Yeah, so so we we've got the carrot and stick here, haven't we? Because we got the money buying the uh, the correct line, or even the full page government COVID adverts, which we've seen in in many of the uh, uh, the bigger newspapers. So that was money coming straight into them as a, as a handout, if you like. But that Ofcom um, directive to me was very much the stick. If you don't do what we say or what we want. Um, what was the threat? We're going to take you to court, or you could be. Well, I could take the court. license away. If if you take it to the ultimate, you can take the license away. Although curiously, they've not, they haven't so far um, taken any major ones away. I mean, you know, you have to take your hat off to Mark Stein on GB News, who's challenging this every night. Um, you know, he's he's he won't bow down to this instructive, and he's been featuring the. The vaccine injured really for the last month or two um, and doing a very fine job too. But, yeah. you know, again, unfortunately, the, the, the vast majority of the population need to hear it on mainstream media to believe it. Um, you know, I, I was talking to, I talked to my son about today about the film we're making and he said, well, surely if there were so many injuries around, it would be on the news. And that's what people expect, but it's not on the news. Right. So just to recap a little bit, your your media career was, did you say, 46 years? Uh, 55 altogether, but 46 right. in television. Right. And so, I started when I was three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so with your extensive experience, including working at very high level with, within the media industry, have you ever seen this sort of control exerted over the media before? No, I mean it would be it would be um, it would be naive, Brian, to think that there's not been government pressure and briefings and all the rest of it throughout time. I mean, the media is never quite as as um, objective as you would you would like. Um, but I've never seen this level of suppression of an of an opposite side of view. Um, you know, we're seeing it over COVID, and actually we're seeing it over climate change as well, uh, which I'll come on to. But it's almost as though They've decided the science is settled um, over over all aspects, and it's what whatever big business and and the pharmaceuticals and the scientists say is the end of the story. Um, it, it's almost as though you know they're, they're arguing that the the world is flat, and somebody's come back with pictures from space to show actually it's it's a globe, and they're saying sorry that's misinformation, you know that's misleading. Uh, you're a conspiracy theorist. I mean, that's what's happening. You know, eminent scientists all over the world are being um, described as conspiracy theorists and, and giving out harmful information. You know, it's nonsense. So no, I've never, I've never seen this level of divisiveness. No, um, fairness you could question, but this is something else, and it and it's coming from the top. In in America, that you know. I remain hopeful that, that the, the stranglehold will be broken in America because although 
the power of the of the narrative lies in America. The people that are questioning it are, are, are more powerful than they are here, and they've got more money. And I'm sure in the end it will crack. I mean, Anthony Fauci um, has and the five big tech companies have just been subpoenaed um, uh, to. And I've, sorry, I need to read this. Um, alleging collusion and suppression of truthful information. Um, this is led by the Attorney Generals of Louisiana uh, and Missouri. And it's now gone to the discovery stage, which means that all five tech companies and all workers in the government agencies have to disclose what correspondence uh, there was between them um, ever since uh, 2020, the start of 2020. So essentially, they're, they're, they're trying to prove that the government of America and the big tech companies and the media have all been colluding in suppressing the truth, which I would argue is, um, it is the same here. Uh, without question. And um, I also want to ask you, you see this, and clearly people in America are seeing that something's wrong and they're, they're asking questions in the way that you've, you've just described. What, what about media colleagues that you still have or people in the higher levels of media? Do they see it, but they're too frightened to speak out or do they not see it at all? They believe the, the line that they've uh, been selling. It's, it's probably a combination of the two. I mean, I, th I think some genuine, genuinely believe the narrative um, and some don't. The, the problem is that it applies to the public as a whole. You know, it, it's quite a difficult thing to admit that you've been misled. Um, you know, I mean, research is coming out to show that almost every aspect of lockdown has had an adverse effect. Even this morning, I saw a report on alcoholism, which has resulted in something like 20% increase in alcohol-related injuries and uh, illnesses. The damage to children's education, to mental health, to businesses. But then we've seen reports questioning um, questioning the use of masks. And of course, we're now seeing reports to say the vaccine actually increased the chance of getting um, COVID. Um, and, you know, you, you probably like me, you've, you've heard people say, I've just had COVID, you know, thank goodness I had the, the, the booster. It would have been so much worse. When the truth is probably they wouldn't have got it in the first place uh, because there's a lot of evidence now that the booster in particular is reducing the immune system, which yeah. makes you more likely to catch something, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's quite scary. I mean, some of the predictions of what could happen long term um, remain to be seen. They do. I think one of the things we've is, is made the point that, that really this, this isn't a vaccine. The COVID mRNA treatment is not a vaccine and should never have been called a vaccine. In fact, the, the CDC in America changed the definition of vaccine, um, um, calling, it a, calling it a vaccine gave people confidence. They thought, well, it's a vaccine. We've always had vaccines. This is not a vaccine. It works in a completely different way, an untested, an untrialed way. And they have really no idea of the long-term effects. I think if people, if that message starts to get home to people, there'll be a lot of anger. But yes. first, they've got to accept it. Because at the moment, you know, a vast majority of people think it's fine and they'll probably go and have the fourth booster as well. 
Yes, there's, there's well, again, very interesting points there. Um, a number of things going through my head. I'm not a scientist or a doctor, so I can't make all the descriptions. But what you do, do look at is the massive circumstantial evidence that's coming in from all over the world. And I do listen to experts and scientists who are questioning it, and they're coming up with very sound, rigorous research of their own, which says that we're wrong on almost every count. Well, and, and of course, the other angle is um, um, we were speaking to Professor Fenton this morning and what was he describing at the start of, of, of the interview was the fact that uh, when he and other well-qualified university colleagues started to question government um, uh, information and statistics, uh, they suddenly found and, and they were producing uh, papers, proper peer-reviewed papers, all of a sudden they were finding that those papers were being suppressed. So you, you've started yeah. out with this angle that, that people have been prevented from speaking out. And this morning we're talking to a, a mathematics professor who was trying to challenge uh, information being put out and what happened. He said it was closed down until we found it difficult to get our, our views and our questions out. This is this is a this is an unbelievably serious situation. I, I you, you're saying in your experience, you have seen other times where the government's attempted to control the way reporting has occurred. Uh, for me, I could go back to the Falklands War, and that would be a pretty obvious one. And there was no doubt that uh, the media was encouraged to toe the line at certain points. But what we've got happening at the moment is that we are dealing with the health of every single person in this country. Let's forget worldwide at the moment, just deal with UK. We've now got irrefutable evidence of people coming forward who've been damaged by vaccines. And yet we're not, we're not even allowed to talk about it. And um, mm. I've, I've said this many times over the last few days that, of course, uh, UK column had the whole of the UK Column YouTube channel taken down because we put out the testimony of a lady uh, called Nicola who described her husband having the vaccine and then quickly being unable to walk and then subsequently being in hospital paralysed ultimately from the neck down with Guillain-Barre syndrome. And um, that testimony mm -hmm. was accurate. It was correct. The whole of our YouTube channel was taken down. But about three months later, the Daily Mail ran exactly the same story, talking about the same man and describing the um, diagnosis that we'd used. And that that was allowed to stand. So then we saw that the censorship isn't simply blanket. Uh, it's selective. If, if you are, it would appear in favour as one of the, the bigger newspapers. Daily Mail was was the lead on this story. Um, you're allowed to cover it, but if you're social media, you're not allowed to cover it. So it's 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 very. Uh, I'm not even sure what the word is. Sinister, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure that newspapers do have that freedom. That you'll almost certainly see when they when they're forced to report something about COVID injury, like for instance, if there's an inquest, they will always qualify it. Um, by saying it's very, very rare and it's very, very uncommon. Um, and in fact, the, the Mail on Sunday actually had something taken down themselves when all they were doing was quoting a report. I think it was from um, 
on Oxford University, which questioned some of the numbers, and that that was taken down. So it's a very powerful um, censorship going on. Yes. And I, I mean, you mentioned doctors. I mean, there are doctors that have spoken out that end up being disciplined or warned for their future conduct when all they're doing is questioning the science. Um, it's interesting because in our film, um, one of the one of the questions we asked was, you know, why were we given proper informed consent? Um, and it turns out that a lot of the doctors hadn't informed themselves. They were they got a directive to push ahead with these vaccines because they were quote safe and effective, and they just carried on without questioning. Um, in fact, one doctor says of her colleagues that. You know, some of them were getting their information from the BBC. Well, good luck with that. Yes. It's actually quite terrifying. I think a lot of trust has been lost between the public and, and, and doctors over it, or will be, the more it comes out. Because we're not talking about a few people here. You know, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of injuries in this country alone and quite a substantial number of, of deaths. Um, you know, these, these yellow card uh, MHRA figures... Uh, they generally reckon that they're underreported by a factor of about 10%. Uh, now, not all of these will be proved to be vaccine injured, but, you know, if you multiply by 10, you know, that's 20,000 deaths alone in this country. And if you look at worldwide, it runs into, you know, multiple multiples of that. You know, this is a massive, serious problem. And sooner or later, it's going to have to break the surface. Uh, well, I think we, it's our duty to make it break the surface because if it's allowed to continue, of course, um, what the government can do can just simply get worse and worse. And we have we have no say. We don't control our bodies anymore, which is which is quite a sobering thought. Um, well, that, that's one of my points. You know, when all this breaks, you know, if you've been done, if you work in the media and you've not done anything about this for two years or so, Actually, you know, you could have been contributing to more and more people getting injured and hurt. Um, we sh it should be in it should be open. We should know about the the risks. Yes, I mean, I, I remember years ago when I, I was running a program called London Tonight, and it was still a, an hour long and a big a big time show in London, and we felt there was something wrong with the Stephen Lawrence death. You remember the, the poor lad that was killed at the bus stop. And we didn't do enough to investigate it. And I've regretted that for all my career. Um, and that was just one poor lad. You know, I'm not going to let this one go. Um, you know, if, if it's the last thing I do in media, I'm going to fight and fight and fight until we get this, um, we get some recognition for these people. Well, Mark, thank you very much for saying that. And it, it's, uh, it's wonderful to hear you say it because, of course, this is right. We need people to stand up, be counted and to fight. And I think... We're positive because there's a lot of, of uh, dark news at the moment. But if we're positive, I think it's becoming clear that we are seeing people standing up now to be counted. And as a result, we're seeing more people starting to interface with them and swap information. So I, I think mm. something is starting to happen. We've just got to make it happen mm. faster and with a bit more effect. But if I just pop back, I just wanted to, you were talking about the GPs. I, I just wanted to mention that um, one of the documents that uh, uh, Debbie Evans, our nursing correspondent, got hold of was a letter from the GMC in which it stated 
in black and white that doctors did not know what the vaccines contained and therefore mm. they were unable to advise on whether this was a good thing or a bad thing. They simply did not know what was inside. And this, this was an amazing thing to read, that here, here was GMC openly admitting doctors administering vaccinations, no idea what they're injecting people with at all. And I would have thought somebody's head should roll for that. Well, to be fair, I'm not sure they'd ever know the ingredients of a, of a vaccine um, scientifically, but what they should have known is it, it was it's not a traditional vaccine. I mean, in layman's terms, and I'll, I'll, try and, <laughs> I'll try and be accurate, a traditional vaccine takes a fragment of the, it takes a fragment of the uh, virus uh, and injects it in your arm, which is where it stays, and the body gets used to dealing with it and, and, cr and creates uh, the appropriate action. With these mRNA vaccines, it's, it doesn't stay in the injection site. It moves around your body and it creates spike proteins and your body begins to make these spike proteins. And one of the problems seems to be that it, it, that it creates them in the wrong places, which is why we've seen blood clots and myocarditis and other heart disease. Um, it is not a traditional vaccine and that's what they should have known. Even if they didn't know the ingredients, they should have known enough about it uh, to say what we're doing is not what you're used to. Yes, and um, not traditional vaccine and also uh, still an experimental medicine under the black triangle label. And this is terminology, the black triangle label saying this is, you know, this is not fully approved. Uh, we know that even mm. at parliamentary level, many MPs simply unaware of what that term black triangle even meant. Um, and yeah. this is where we've been quite shocked that when you talk to people, educated people with a lot of life experience, um, they're talking about matters to do with COVID-19 and the vaccines. But when you got on to how the whole of the pharmacovigilance system works, they had never heard of a black triangle medicine didn't understand what that label uh, really meant or what it entailed in the safety system. So we've got a lot of ignorance amongst people who really need to know. We can, I think some of them, we can, we can afford to forgive them for not knowing previously. I'd certainly never heard of a black triangle medicine until we started to investigate this lot. But once it's being flagged up, then certainly Members of Parliament, for example, should start paying attention. That's how I see it. Well, I think you've spoken to Sir Christopher Chope, who's, a, who's, who's championing the cause for vaccine injured. And he used the phrase in Parliament, uh, you know, the, it, the government are covering this up. Um, they're covering up the injuries uh, for fear of, of damaging the, the vaccine campaign. But, I mean, that's not, that isn't right. It's not how government should, should operate. We should have fair discussion. But I mean that the whole the whole way that the vaccines were were developed and purchased is is open to all kinds of criticism and debate. I mean, I, I really hope uh, when Dame Hallett goes into this for the inquiry, they they look at all of the aspects and don't cover it up, because I mean our government um, and many governments indemnified the uh, pharmaceutical companies against claims against uh, you know they indemnified them uh, in order to 
rush the vaccines out, which which meant they didn't have time or the wherewithal to complete testing. They were they were pressured to get the vaccines out, um, and our governments, uh, the governments, indemnified them against claims, which is uh, worrying in the first place. And then the MHRA here, um, in our film, we, we we've got a clip of of um, June Rain. Uh, who is in charge of the MHRA? She she's she's quite proud of the fact that they the COVID signalled the MHRA to change from an from a watchdog to an enabler. You know they were working with the drug companies to enable these drugs to be rushed out. Um, she actually says that the MHRA used to be full of policemen who used to go around factories looking at trials and holding things up, and she says we tore up the rule book now. If they're working with the drug companies, and by the way, the MHRA, according to um, to a recent report, is 86% funded by the pharmaceutical companies, 86%. If they're working with someone that's funding them to 86%, I'm sorry, who is looking after the interests of the public? Um, June Rain says independence and fairness and, and transparency are their watchwords and safety, but it doesn't really stand up when they're being funded and by the very people they're supposed to be regulating. Um, so the system really, right from the, right from the beginning of, of, of getting these drugs underway to when they were delivered, it's, it's full of question marks about, um, frankly, conflict of interest. I totally agree with that. And, and of course, the MHRA has gone as far as saying that uh, they don't just want to do this function as an enabler, almost a pharmaceutical rep, if you want to be a little bit coarse about it. They don't want to just do this in UK. They want to be able to do it globally. They see themselves as a, bud, uh, a budding uh, global enabler of all matters pharmaceutical, which is even more scary. Uh, they need, they need well, to be... Yeah. Go ahead. The FDA are in the same position in the States. They're also funded by the pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies. I mean, you know, you, you, you begin to skirt on a on a wider issue about global global control here. Um, I mean, I don't know whether you've talked before about the, the whole WHO treaty uh, that they're trying to push through, but, I mean, if that goes through, the WHO will have powers over our sovereignty, uh, sovereignty when it comes to health. Um, the WHO could decide, you know, as soon as this treaty is agreed, they could decide that they will they will tell us whether we're going to go into lockdown, whether the jabs are mandatory, whether we need vaccine passports. It's taking away decision-making from Parliament. Um, it's not been talked about a lot, this, and it doesn't even need a parliamentary vote. Um, just a letter from the PM or the uh, health minister is enough to commit Britain to this WHO treaty, and it's very dangerous, um, especially as the WHO treaty... Um, you know, it's, it's funded not by entirely by nations. It also takes a lot of funding from individuals, as you know, from including and especially Bill Gates. Now, I don't care whether Bill Gates is the most generous and uh, golden-hearted man in the world. It's wrong that an individual who may or may not have an agenda has so much power over a world body. I mean, in fact, Bill Gates has power over many, many bodies because he invests in scientific companies in universities in education and he puts a lot of money into the media as well including the bbc's media trust um 
I think there's conflict of interest wherever Bill Gates' name comes up. Whether or, or not he's got good intentions, it is not right that a private individual can have that much influence just because he's got cash. Yeah, no, I certainly agree with that. Well, Mark, we, we've sort of covered the, if you like, we've had a run through the background to COVID and vaccinations. My key question for you is, what caught your attention over the issue of vaccine adverse reactions? And that's led you down a very specific path towards making the film. But what, what did you first encounter where you realised that the adverse reactions was, was a real issue? Um, well, I got into this really on the numbers very early on. I'm sitting at home watching the television and they're telling me that so many of people have died within 28 days of being tested positive of COVID. They've died of any reason. And the, the trouble is these figures stick. You know, if, if there's 50,000 that have died for any reason within 28 days, that becomes very quickly 50 COVID deaths. And even this week, or maybe the end of last week, Sky News had a report on um, COVID deaths, and they said, you know, with, with deaths from COVID already past 200,000, it's just not true. You know, it's nowhere near that number that's died from COVID. So that's how I got into it um, and began writing around that. But then um, I met Tess Laurie, uh, Dr. Tess Laurie and Beth, and um, learned a lot more about the background. And through her, uh, met two or three um, women who had been vaccine injured. And I just thought, I've got to, I've got to make a program on this. And then, of course, the more you delve into it, uh, the more you find. And it's horrific, really. I mean, the young lives have been ruined, completely ruined. I mean, you know, we've, we've done a, a piece with a young ballroom dancer, or Max Harrison, who was, you know, he was number um, six in the world for ballroom dancing. It was his whole life him and his sister, and they've got aspirations to be world champions and go professional. You know, the poor lad can't, he can't even go to the gym now. His whole, he's in fear of having a heart attack. Every day he gets heart pains. And he, it's mentally, it's crushing on these people, let alone the physicality. And what's worse is uh, they're not being recognised. They go to the National Health and they just say, you've got anxiety, it can't be the vaccine, you know, don't talk rubbish, it's, you, 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 you're feeling anxious. And I mean, it's just awful what's happened. I mean, I have um, sent a clip, if you'd, if you'd like to run that, of one of the, one of the girls uh, who features in the film. She's called Georgia Siegel, if you want to run that now. Okay, let's have a look at that. And my mum was standing on the drive. Um, she'd been looking after the dogs while we'd been away. And she was talking to the neighbour. And... Um, I remember getting out of the car and I burst into tears and I said, please don't be alarmed at how I'm walking. Um, and it was then I really realised, I think after the tremors on the Sunday, that there was something seriously wrong. And I'd been fine up until, like, I'd been healthy, perfectly fine up until um, the point of me having my second vaccine. <laughs> Breathe, 
Um, it's really funny because I look at these videos and I watch them and I either get really emotional watching them or I just go, wow, look at how far I've come and look at where I was. Um, I was on a Zimmer frame. I was in a wheelchair. Um, I kind of feel like I'm looking at somebody else sometimes. And not me. Uh, Mark, I, I was able to see your face while that video clip was uh, showing, and I could tell that that clip was still having a very big effect on you, had an effect on me. Um, what is I've, remarkable? I've seen it many times, and it still upsets me, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, others like it in the film. I mean, it's um, Georgia is registered, registered disabled, Um as a result of the, of the vaccines, and you know, and as I said before, there are thousands and thousands like it in various various degrees. I mean, one of our interviews has lost a leg because of a terrible blood clot, and uh, poor Caroline Wright lost her husband, left her with two kids. Um, it's it's just gone on all over the country and all over the world, and it has to be it has to come to the fore. The film, by the way, is called Safe and Effective: A Second Opinion. Uh, which we've made it with Oracle Films, um, who are a wonderfully talented young company. <clears throat> and I would dearly like it to go out on mainstream media, but I'm not holding my breath. Um, you know, we should finish it in the next two two weeks and we will push it. But um, if not, we'll put it out on the same independent circuit as other similar films go. But we've aimed it at a, at a, a mainstream audience because we've we've used the tried and tested technique of bringing the story down to human interest and then looking at the science beyond it. Whereas, of course, scientists do the opposite. They, they look at the whole picture and don't go on individual individual stories. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an emotive film. There's no two ways about it because it's an emotive subject. Uh, well, it's an incredibly distress, distressing subject. And what a situation. We should... We should be in the position where the media is falling over themselves to pick up this material because it's it's human, it's human emotion, it's something that's gone badly wrong. But to my mind, the media should be falling over themselves to report this material because it's going to have such a huge impact on the audience. But what are we seeing? We're seeing a stone wall go up in general that the, the, the main so-called mainstream media does not want to engage at all, even where you've got video footage of somebody showing these these very serious um, uh, effects. Yeah, it, it, it's almost a case of have they gone too far? Um, a bit like the public in general, they've they've had two years or two and a half, uh, uh, well, eighteen months of believing. Vaccines are safe and effective, and it's all doing them good. Um, when in fact, the science is now showing they didn't really work at all. They didn't prevent you getting the disease. They didn't prevent you passing it on. 
And there's fairly strong evidence to say you're more likely to get ill because you've had the vaccine, which is bizarre. Um, but when you've been pushing it an angle for so long, it takes quite a big sidestep to say, actually, we were wrong. Um, and we better start looking at the, the other side. I mean, interestingly enough, my uh, my television license reminder came through yesterday morning. I can tell you now, I will not be paying it because for me, the BBC have broken their contract with me. They're not giving me, they're using my money to give government propaganda. Um, they're not giving uh, an impartial view of this story and probably many more. Right. Uh, so, you know, they can, whistle, they can whistle for the money. So, so Mark, how, how many, are you able to say how many people you've now come into contact with uh, doing your film, people who've had adverse reactions? Well, I think we filmed eight, but to be honest, I began to get lots of emails and lots of other stories coming in, and we could have done it over and over. Um, but we'd, you know, we filmed eight as a representative mix. Yes. Uh, and of course, we know from the MHRA's own own statistics that ultimately there have got to be thousands of these people out there. But one of the, the things, and, and you did mention it, is that nobody's listening to them and uh, they feel initially mm. very isolated because they don't know who they can go to to talk about the problem. And I, I, I must be fair here to say that we've learned more about this from the team that produced the, the video documentary, A Letter to My MP, James Wells and Christian Buckland. Yes. And so yes. your, both of, of, of your efforts reinforce the other, don't they? They reinforce each other because this is not just a couple of people going and making a film. Um, there are people now motivated to get the truth out. And we've got We've got a number of people saying we've got to we've got to get the information out, and producing a film yes. is obviously an extremely good way of doing it. Well, James turned out a, a film quite quickly, and it was it was the first time that we'd heard from individual people, and he, he concentrated on the on the vaccine injured. We 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 have done that, um, but we've also taken it a lot further. We've looked at some of the ways the deals were done. We've looked at the MRHA, uh, MHRA. Um, We've looked at uh, Spy B and how they their influence um, terrified the nation. Uh, actually, Chris Buckland, uh, Christian Buckland's in our film as well, uh, talking about the unethical uh, behavioural science that was that was forced upon us. Um, and we've also looked at the media as well and why they've only told one side of the story. I mean, the BBC, you know, on air they said it is not our policy. Uh, to to debate with anti-vaxxers whether they're right or wrong. I mean, whether they're right or wrong, they're not going to debate with them. Um, you know, it's a serious it's a serious uh, issue. And then, of course, uh, as we say in the film, we show in the film, you know, there, there was a hundred thousand people turned out in a, a march in London. Well, several different marches in London. Um, against vaccine mandates, against uh, the vaccine at all, um, it wasn't covered at, uh, hardly at all on the media, and especially the BBC. Instead, they wanted to vilify everyone as anti-vaxxers. Well, if, if you look at the film, you know, they're not, they're not some militant bunch of crazies out there. You know, they're, they're, they're 100,000 ordinary, concerned family people of all walks of life and all generations and all ethnic mixes. You know, there was genuine, genuine concern 
and they were ignored. I, th I think had the BBC been honest and showed some of these marches, it might have opened people's eyes, you know, to think, hang on a minute, you know, do these people have a point? But no, they wanted to paint them as anti-vaxxers and anti-vax lies. And, you know, we've got Tony Blair in the film calling, you know, these idiots. Boris Johnson says, you know, they are not jobs. I mean, it was a terrible um, othering, I believe, the phrases and a, and a vilification of, of people who just believed in, in bodily choice and, and knowing a bit more about it. You know, I'm sure in the end, the anti-vaxxers will turn out to be the sensible ones, but we'll see. Well, I know exactly what you're talking about because the, um, several of us from the UK column went to one of the, the, I think it was the biggest of the marches up in London. And yeah, there, there was nothing reported in, in UK mainstream media. BBC didn't cover anything. I um, was able to email Tim Davies himself uh, of the BBC and ask him why there was no coverage of this event. And he just simply sidetracked the issue and said, oh, well, you know, the BBC um, wouldn't necessarily cover uh, any event that took place. So it was a real uh, go away yeah. and don't bother me answer. But, but really, is it any wonder that we've now got um, record numbers of people like yourself who are now saying we're not going to pay our TV license? This has recently mm. emerged in the latest BBC accounts. Yeah. Well, I'm not, I'm not a troublemaker in that sense. I just think they've broken the contract. They've broken the deal. And that's it, that's it for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so to come back to the really important thing, the people in your video film, how did yeah. that film impact on them? Did it, did it help them? Because what was it demonstrating? That there are people um, out there concerned about them and the fact that they've been injured? Did, did, yes. did the process yeah. help them? Yes, it did. And in fact, we've tried to keep in touch with them and let them know what's going on and talk to them. Because, yes, um, I think we weren't seen as we weren't there as voyeurs or anything that they saw us as help. And, you know, anybody that's that's got a worry or in trouble they, to talk to someone, especially someone from the outside, is really quite therapeutic. I mean, I don't think we've helped them practically, but we may have given them some help mentally you know but i mean some some of them are going to awful lengths themselves i mean they're paying for any treatment they can find if they think if they think it might help you know none of the treatments are particularly proven but they'll 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 try them and spend thousands of pounds of them. i mean one one lady caroline she 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 uh, goes in for, for phlebotomy which is basically taking blood out of your system every now and again which makes her feel better but i mean it's um, it cost a lot of money to do it, you know. I mean, she was so desperate at one stage. She told me that um, she went down the local town trying to find drug dealers to teach her how to uh, put a needle in her arm. You know, this is how desperate wow. people are. It's um, it's one thing, as I said before, it's one thing to be physically um, uh, in trouble, um, physically restricted. But it's quite another to to then on top of it to be mentally tortured almost um, by being ignored. You know, it's it's very very frustrating for them, and they they've had to form their own self help groups, and you know they do have talk of suicide. You know, they have they have to play a role in keeping people alive. And by the way, um, the one, well, I think more than one support group would were banned on social media for, as misinformation. 
And as one of the girls said, says in the film, how can our lives be misinformation? You know, this is our experience and we're trying to help each other. And they've cut us off. I mean, it, it's criminal, actually, criminal. Yeah. And, well, you've probably explained a little bit about it, but if I said to you, what did you, what did you learn from interacting with these people? What, what really came home to you? Um, goodness, that's a difficult one. Uh, I'm not sure how to answer that, Brian. I mean, no, were, I think uh, I think they're, probably they're very brave people, and yeah. it's and it, you have to try very very hard not to feel sorry for them because that's not particularly what they want. They want help. They don't call themselves victims, by the way. They call themselves, you know, vaccine injured, and I think that probably tells you tells you all. They don't want to be seen as victims. They don't want sympathy. They want help. Practical help. Yes. Okay. Thank you for that. And did you, uh, you, you've said you've included these, these other elements, which are obviously the key elements, what the MHRA said, what the government said. Have you tried to get comment from the government, from government agencies uh, about the, this vaccine damage? Have you tried to get comment from them? Absolutely. You don't, I've, tried, I've tried to hold on to all journalistic principles. Uh, yes, we've asked them all. Um, the GMC gave a reply. Um, NHS gave a reply about letters going out to children. Um, the DHSC said pretty much we aren't going to comment on that. We asked the BBC, you know, what's happened to impartiality and free speech? And they said we're not prepared to comment on that, you know, which I think is even more damning, actually. But no, we right. asked them. Um, will will yeah. you or have you included some of those replies in the film? Because this is really, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but you, know, you could you could you could say the entire media for the last two and a half years has taken one view. So whatever we say is balancing that. But no, we balance. We've tried to balance it, but it's it's very hard to get people to come and talk about it. You know, I asked if we could interview June Rain, and they didn't respond. Yeah. But at least this makes it even more obvious that something. I think one of the reasons they didn't respond, they assume it's not going to go out on mainstream media. Um, But I don't, they don't, I don't think they realise quite what viewership some of the independent media is getting now. You know. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) that's an interesting thing with the MHRA because, of course, our little joke about the MHRA is that when their board meetings were going out on YouTube, their monthly board meetings, the viewing figures in the beginning were tiny, perhaps 63 people, maybe 200 people. And when we started to focus public attention on those board meetings, and we were saying to the audience, you really need to sit down and listen to the whole of the MHRA board meeting so you can understand what these people really are saying and what they're not saying. And the viewing figures uh, crept up to 2,000. Then eventually they got over 8,000. And then suddenly mm. the uh, MHRA didn't want to release its board meetings to YouTube. So <laughs> keeping them in the spotlight and questioning them does bring huge pressure to bear on these people. So a fob off, I never regard that necessarily as a bad thing, because if you've got the evidence that you've been blocked or stalled or fobbed off, you can show people what's what's really happening as a result. And what so, what? A, sorry, look, um, there, there, there is so there is so much of this blanking and 
and cancelling and misinformation nonsense going on that <laughs> it's quite obvious there's something to hide. I mean, the more people run, the more you know they've got something to hide. Yeah. It's a fairly straightforward principle of original journalism. Yes. What about the cross-section of people that have suffered the adverse reactions? Were, were, were there different ages? Um, they are, although we tended to concentrate on slightly younger. I think the oldest of ours is 57. Um, but look, I'm 72. And if I passed away, it would be difficult to make a case that it was the vaccine because people of my age do pass away. Um, it's much, that's not to decry it because a lot of, a lot of old people, uh, el elderly people have had really bad effects from the, from the vaccine. But I think it probably demonstrates the um, the harm more when you see young, fit, healthy people uh, suffering from it. And of course, the irony is, if, it, if, it, if irony is the right word, they didn't need the vaccine in the first place because all the evidence shows that it was only um, those over 65, 70 who were ever going to um, be in trouble. And even then, you probably needed a, an underlying health issue. Uh, I mean, what... In my view, and again, I'm not a scientist, but I think we should have, we should only ever have uh, vaccinated the the elderly and those who were at risk from other causes. There was never a need to vaccinate the nation, and there was definitely no need to vaccinate people under forty unless they had comorbidities, because they weren't going to get seriously ill from COVID. I mean, all the evidence now stands that up. So yeah, we we tended to go for the for younger people. Right. And, and now, of course, we're faced with the fact that the, the clear and declared government policy is to vaccinate ever younger children. So not only from five years and above, but also vaccinating babies. And this, this I just find mm. horrific and outrageous because we've got the provable evidence of vaccine damage, as you're demonstrating in your film and others are talking about in interviews with people who are suffering adverse reactions. The evidence is there before we've even had our public inquiry or we've had any form of proper investigation into safety issues around vaccines. We're now steamrolling the policy that we're going to vaccinate children. And again, as you've just said, and these are these are children, teenage and you know, up to teenagers who have got the the immune systems that simply mean they don't need the assistance of a vaccine. I mean, there, 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 there have been, there has been, have been, uh, there has been a, uh, an increase in, in deaths among young people. I mean, the stats are there. Um, but of course, it's difficult to prove. I mean, you know, there are, there are many, many reasons put forward, including long COVID. I mean, the the Office of National Statistics said that there are 2 million people in this country suffering from long COVID. So I asked them, I said, well, how do you know it's long COVID? Um, and have you done any correlation to see if they're vaccinated or not? And of course, they haven't. They couldn't tell me which of the 2 million have been vaccinated or not. So I would wager any money at all that a fair number of those 2 million haven't got long COVID, but, but vaccine injury. Yeah. You know, um, but it is hard to prove because some of the symptoms are similar. Um, but but to, prove, people, 
but to prove you're... something, you you to prove something, you've got to you've got to have a proper scientific analysis and investigation. And this is one of the things which, again, people simply don't realise is that the MHRA says it is there as a safety body for pharmaceutical um, products and vaccines, but they have not conducted any proper quantitative risk assessment into the effects of vaccines. So they've got the data sitting there, over mm. one and a half a million supposed adverse effects. If we're, if we're straight, we'll say, okay, yes, we understand those are effects recorded, which may be the result of vaccines, but surely we need to pin down whether they are or they are not. And when we have, have pressured the MHR really hard on what action they're taking to identify which of which of the figures within their own statistics are, are vaccine-induced injuries, they simply will not answer. And I think this is because they are not doing any proper risk assessment. I think the figures um it's about half a million, not one and a half million injured, but but I'll maybe out of date. Well, well, that's recorded. No, no, sorry. No, let's let's um, make sure we've got this right. This is the total numbers of adverse reactions is one and a half million plus. The total number of individuals concerned is close to half a million. It's about 460,000, I think. So obviously some individuals were reporting more than one symptom. That's mm. that's the just uh, yeah. that's how those figures sit. The circumstantial evidence is massive. Um, it doesn't matter what science, science, how what scientific data you try and apply. You know the, the evidence from all quarters that these vaccines are causing damage is massive, and any other vaccine through the years would have been taken off the market. You know many many months ago. Um, you know you normally get forty or fifty deaths and it's withdrawn. You know, and it, they just kept pushing and pushing, and still are. Um, I can't talk about um, injecting babies and children; it makes me too cross. You know, I mean, part of the reason I'm doing this is because we have a nine, a seven-year-old granddaughter. You know, who I'm fighting for as well. I can't, I can't think about the damage to children. I, I mean, but it, I, the parents have to understand. They, they somehow we've got to get across the message that a these babies and children don't need it because they're not going to get sick. B, don't believe any rubbish about, you know, passing on to your granny, you know, protect your granny. I mean, when in life did we, did we worry about children protecting older people? It's the other way around. Uh, but three, they are dangerous. They can be dangerous, can be dangerous. And if, if, if they're not at risk of disease, why would you risk injecting them with a, 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 an untried and unproven, um, I'll call it a vaccine, especially yeah. the long effects? Um, are not known. They're just not known. Yeah. Mark, last question for you. Um, have you seen, have you watched the BBC Unvaccinated so-called documentary? And if you have, what are your thoughts? I did watch it, yeah. Um, actually, <laughs> funnily enough, I, was, I thought it was slightly more balanced than I thought it was going to be. Um, it might be an own goal, actually. I mean, I, I think it's the first time that you've heard people talk on the BBC in any depth about vaccine injuries and challenge the challenge the narrative. I thought the way they cast it was disgraceful. Um, you know, if, if we set out to believe that they were trying to prove that 
anti-vaxxers were troublemakers or slight, slight, in quotes, oddballs. Um, you know, I mean, they picked they picked the lad who was on the extreme edge of that with his views on on um, metal being injected into you and and all the rest of it. I mean. I'm a strong believer in fighting on the middle ground and not on the extremities. And they cast that, I thought, to show, uh, to try and portray um, the the vaccine as a, the vaccine injured, uh, sorry, the anti-vaxxers as they call them, as extremists, which clearly they're not. Um, but I thought that was a bit dishonest for one. Um, and I thought the use of jelly beans was infantile for two. And for three, you know, the, Although they've put out a, a long explanation, the scientists they used, it actually works in a Pfizer-sponsored lab or yeah. Pfizer-sponsored program. Now, even if he wasn't involved directly, they should have said that. You know, there was, they should have stated uh, to avoid any confusion, but they don't because they're not, they're not being impartial, they're not being objective. And they can say what they like about the program. It was loaded to try and prove that uh, there's nothing to see here. Yeah. Well, we, we've been able to have some direct contact with uh, a couple of people involved. And of course, one of the things they've said to us is how heavily controlled the whole event was. So they were within a, a very posh facility, but at one stage they were told they couldn't leave. Now, they didn't adhere to that, but it was almost like there was, I'm going to say, psychological manipulation of them throughout the whole event. And the second point that's been made very strongly is that BBC took hours of film footage, most of which was never used. And of course, there were no contra, uh, no export, sorry, no experts or professionals brought in with a contra opinion to have some form of debate. So to be fair, any kind of show like that's going to have hours that don't get on the air. I mean, you know, that news is what the editor says it is really i mean there's always going to be a a lot of stuff that didn't didn't get in and the participants may feel they've made a great point that didn't make the air and they get they get cross um that being said of course it was it was loaded yeah but i mean when bbc did the same subject on question time you know they had professor shattercock um to to he was he's from imperial college you know he's 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 steeped in the whole development of vaccines they didn't have anybody from from to question the vaccine or or question how the mrna worked they yeah. just let him sit there and say you know they are safe and effective the evidence is irrefutable well if you only put one expert up you know that isn't being objective at all and i mean there was a i don't know if you remember it but there was a student in the audience who you know, if they'd set him up, it couldn't be worse worse than he was. You know, he just put the obvious questions and got shot down by an expert. But I mean, the expert was, again, in my view, had a conflict of interest, and yeah. it's dishonest not not to not to put these things, not to state these things. Okay. Well, Mark, we're we're just about on the hour, I think. So I'm going to say thank you very much for joining us. Any last comments to the audience as to what you'd like them to do? Obviously, you're going to say, please watch out for, for the film. Um, put my well, glasses, <laughs> safe and effective, a second opinion. So we'd like mm -hmm. people to watch out for that. And of course, we'll, we'll obviously be pleased to help promote it for you. Um, yes. But what would you like people to do? What do you think the audience should do to get involved and help? 
it's it's very difficult. I mean, overall, I'd like people to open their eyes to what's going on, and you know what's going on with this and with climate change and with with many other things. I would love them to see the manipulation of, that's going on, but it's quite hard because it's like coming out of hypnosis, um, and it's not easy, as you probably found. You know, it isn't easy to talk to people who believe in the jabs because they 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 fully trust the government. They trust the the medical line, but also that I suppose they trust themselves because they've had them and they've believed in it and they don't want to hear that A, they don't work and B, they could cause harm. Um, so, you know, if, if I, if, if a psychologist would tell you, it's, it's very difficult to talk people out of a, a state of belief. Um, but that's what we've got to try and do. And what we've tried to do in the film is do it by showing examples. If, as you've just seen, it's not an easy watch. Um, but I hope it's a powerful one and I hope it's an effective one. Okay, Mark, thank you very, very much for joining me. I would like to say, this has just come into my head, but to, to end, would you be kind enough to read us out the Ofcom statement again? And then I'd, I'd like to finish this interview today just by playing out your little clip once again to, to end the interview. Okay. Well, I haven't got the whole sentence, but I've got the quotes of the, the relevant parts. They, they asked broadcasters to take note of the significant potential harm that could be caused by, quotes, material misleadingness in relation to the virus or public policy regarding it. Uh, they then warned of taking appropriate regulatory action on any breaches. And as I said before, that was issued on the very same day that Spy B briefed the Prime Minister and he gave his famous speech, you know, uh, which brought in lockdown. Okay, Mark, thank you very much. Uh, hope to see you again. And let's end with the little clip. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you. My mum was standing on the drive. Um, she'd been looking after the dogs while we'd been away. And she was talking to the neighbour. And... Um, I remember getting out of the car and I burst into tears and I said, please don't be alarmed at how I'm walking. Um, and it was then I really realised, I think after the tremors on the Sunday, that there was something seriously wrong. And I'd been fine up until, like, I'd been healthy, perfectly fine up until um, the point of me having my second vaccine. <laughs> Breathe, 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 breathe. Okay, come on. Um, it's really funny because I look at these videos and I watch them and I either get really emotional watching them or I just go, wow, look at how far I've come and look at where I was. Um, I was on a Zimmer frame. I was in a wheelchair. Um, I kind of feel like I'm 
looking at somebody else sometimes. And not me.